up, everybody? It's me, cannabis industry lawyer Tom Howard, here with another episode of Cannabis Legalization News. Joining us will be Bo Kilmer from the Rand Drug Policy Resource Center. Our lead story of the week is not that great. Uh, evidently, you can be denied, and that was our thumbnail for the day, denied citizenship because you uh, have cannabis use. And this isn't like in Nebraska. This is a story that came right out of uh, Colorado. So let's jump into our lead story and welcome Miggy and Bo. What's up, guys? Thanks for coming by. Hey, gentlemen. Mm. Oh, shit, there he is. Hey, Boo. Hi. Bo. Does that move you? He doesn't think he's on the screen. Hey, Bo. Hey, everybody. He doesn't about, know he's live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tell us about RAND and uh, what you do for him. Yeah, so uh, RAND is a nonprofit, nonpartisan research organization uh, that really tries to improve policy and decision-making you know, through research and analysis. We work in a lot of different areas, ranging from health to labor, climate change, military security, homeland security, but kind of at the nexus of the work that we do on health, uh, the criminal legal system, and social and economic well-being, we have our Drug Policy Research Center, which I co-direct, where we work on all aspects of substance use and drug policy. Uh, mm. But you know, for me personally, I guess past 12, 13 years, been doing a lot of research in the uh, in the cannabis space oh, wow. and you know i just want to be really? clear you know rand doesn't have a, an official position on this right you know right. rand's not going to say you should legalize or you should not legalize but a lot of the work that we've been doing is helping states and other countries kind of think through the issues you know legalization isn't some binary choice so if you're thinking sure. about alternatives to prohibiting cannabis supply hey here are the different choices and here are the things you need to think about so they're doing a lot of work in that space but also in terms of trying to size some of these markets and I got to tell you, it, it was a heck of a lot easier sizing these markets when people were primarily smoking lower potency flour, right? <laughs> now with everything else, it's just so much more complicated. Oh, Why? Our models are okay. I mean, if you guys need some models, head on over <laughs> to CannabisIndustryLawyer.com. Uh, <laughs> we do, It's. Uh, I just saw one of our models go out on Friday uh, over to Massachusetts, and it was beautiful. We hired a new CFO uh, named Slobodan. He does great work. Nice. Oh, cool. But, uh, Bo, I, I, you know, brands, I guess I've been familiar with the Institute when it comes to, like, data reports or whatever it puts out. You're always looking at the the stuff. Because the whole part of, like, important part of, like, winning this conversation is having data, right? Like, you know, look, there's less uh, kid smokers or no one's died or, you know, mm -hmm. like, anal analytics type shit just to prove, like, this is fact-based but when it comes to like regulation what are you guys looking at when it comes to it's for me and tom will tell you i i just think if they were to make the plant mandatory just to be tested right whether it be home anything that's sold over any market because it's a consumer product and here in washington state medical and why and, and recreation are still tested differently i mean i don't know how to test but it's a consumable product so for me though that's it just plant require the the, the plant to go through the labs right like you know, there's no real like quantities or signage. You know, there's all this excessive dumbness, I think, when it comes to this plant. Uh, but what do you guys do you have a focus for regulation, like an ideal of what you think should or shouldn't be? Well, no, you know, a lot of the, as I said, a lot of the work has been kind of think helping jurisdictions think through these issues. So, you know, for example, when Vermont was really thinking about this, like 2013, 2014, 
you know, we did, you know, it was a really comprehensive volume, kind of helping them think about here are all the different ways you could tax, here are the pros and cons, you know, here are the different ways that you could supply, right? I mean, so much of the discussion here in the States is either go from prohibition to kind of this for-profit model. We allow the companies to decide what gets produced, you know, what gets, uh, what hits the market. But, you know, you look at some other countries, you know, they're, they tend to be outside of the United States, even amongst those that want to legalize, there tends to be much more focus on kind of these middle ground approaches, right? Where you could either have, you know, just allow home grow, you, could, you know, Canada, some parts are only allowing state stores. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could even imagine a scenario where you limit participation to nonprofit organizations. Um, you know, and, and here's another thing, you know, even if you're going to allow for-profit companies to get involved, you know, you could require that they be, you know, um, social benefit corporations or B Corps, right? I mean, so there are a lot of options and, and I want to be, make it clear with each of those, there are pros and cons. Um, well, why I don't we one, require you know, all the cigarette companies to become B Corps for <laughs> you like, could. you know, social profit ones? Why, <laughs> how come McDonald's, like I go to past the McDonald's and like it is deep, like four or eight cars deep of people that just want to get stuff that's going to clog their arteries and make them more likely to have cancer or heart disease. Mm. Uh, the B Corps... Why are you going to onerously penalize the cannabis plant, which is like so much more beneficial to like us than these other corporations that are just publicly traded and like McDonald's just smashed on earnings. It was uh, something like that. I don't know if I would. Do people go for that concept? I haven't I, I haven't seen too much. No, yeah. um, no, I just thought it's a possibility. Right. But I mean, I guess that raises a larger question about when you think about cannabis regulation. Should you think about it in terms of what the idea would be, or are you just going to try to make it like alcohol or some other substance or, you know, or some other product? And the other issue is, I mean, and the reason why you you don't see as much of that with these other industries is they've got really powerful lobbies. They're going to shoot that. They're going to, they're going to shoot that down. And so I think that's one of the questions kind of confronting, um, you know, with respect to cannabis. Do you want to have really large lobbies? You know, and the lobbies industries that are worse for you. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, like yeah. you said, Ron McDonald's killed more people than it. But uh, you know the parody, right? We'll be talking about how treating cannabis like any other industry. You know, it's like to treat it like alcohol, treat it like cigarettes, right? The like the gas station thing with the Circle K recently. Where yeah, most yeah. people were like, yeah. Oh, but but you know the regulation too is also like all, overall the rules. Like our top story with the with the poor lady who's got denied citizenship, right? Why? Mm-hmm. Because you're a bad human being for this thing that's legal in what 13 states, and uh, uh, the feds probably denied the Colorado. Yeah, we both yeah. <laughs> feds denied Colorado women's citizenship request for marijuana use, according to a judge. But then, like, that's bad. I mean, like that policy is terrible. That you're going to have these dual messages that says, "Go ahead, like, buy all the guns you want after you're 18." Buy all the, the cheeseburgers you want and make sure that that vodka spills out twice as fast as it does in Europe. Uh, however, if you're going to try to buy flowers, you're not going to be able to. We're going to throw up a whole bunch of roadblocks to it. It doesn't make or we're even going to kick you out of the country and say you're a bad person ineligible yeah. for citizenship. Which you has know? happened. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think this raises a larger issue about alcohol regulations. I think we're too weak on alcohol. Yeah, you know, in terms of respect to price, yeah, and so I guess the question confronting those that want to legalize cannabis is: Do you want it to be like alcohol, or do you want it to potentially be better? Um, obviously, it depends on what you, you know your your take on this in terms of what better would be. 
Um, sure. But whether or not alcohol is the actual model, I, I would suggest that we do a poor job of regulating alcohol. The companies have too much power. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we do a poor job of regulating most things that are large industries. Because then those yeah, industries yeah. buy the politicians to like even pick their own voters. So like if your industry is so good that it has subsidies and like rent seeking behavior, for example, mm. a 401k, you know, like mm -hmm. that was something that the Wall Street just wrote into the tax code, mm -hmm. right into the law and said, there you go. You're welcome. Or uh, the, the dairy industry or the beef industry or most agriculture, they grow that not to feed us, to feed animals that um, we then eat, which gives us cancer and heart disease. And, and all of these are subsidies or like in the, in the case of um, medical care, that is an, an industry insurance subsidy or something. And so, like, if you can not have to pay for a product and then just send an invoice to a third party who's like pooling all these resources to either be able to pay you if you're a doctor or sue you if you're a, a, a patient or like a person mm -hmm. who's like claiming coverage under one of their policies. It's madness. Why do we do this to ourselves? Well, could it part of the problem to be that, you know, and again, like this woman, the re the result of her not being a citizen is from an arrest in, uh, for 1.1 grams, right? Wow. And so, and not only just the amount, but the, she handled it, paid her fines and and and, and, and served her time because we, we believe in that, right? Like there's a, a you know, you, you, uh, forgiveness, but like, it's also how we look at the law and, and, and our law is very reactionary. Right. Like like the, 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 those big industries right now that you talked about, Tom, like the alcohol, the people who have the lobbyists that can afford these crazy things. It's they're so big now. Now you have to like go. But who's going to take that initiative to create a law like that to, st to, to stifle these guys? Right. Because no one wealthy. gets up. Most Only people the wealthy can afford to run for Congress. The people who run for Congress can't afford to run for Congress. If I get one more effing email or text from oh, people that I foolishly <laughs> gave money to. Uh, asking for money, like uh, Raphael Warnock will not. He is probably sending me an email right now, and, and I'm like, okay, Jiminy Christmas. Why well, do we even run our government like that? Yeah. You know, which which reminds me, uh, you know, most states, if not all states, should be early voting right now. So please, for the love of God, get out there and vote because I mean, it does count. I mean, it yeah. doesn't matter. Your voice is a thing. Uh, you know, this is, I think this midterm is a very essential one, right? Women's rights and even maybe perhaps legalization. What's a, did Rand take a take on a Biden statement? It's an official take. I mean, my, my take on reading that is, you know, a few things step stand out to me, you know, first of all, you know, it unequivocally, you know, made it clear that, uh, the, the prohibition had disproportionately affected communities of color. And if you look at the statement that was published at the very end, you know, it says that, uh, you know, it's time to right these wrongs and that our their approach hasn't been working now. And I think you discussed this uh, last Sunday. I, I listened to part of uh, part of the pod, you know, in terms of there were kind of three different actions that were kind of uh, taken. You know, one was the, you know, pardoning those who have been, uh, you know, arrested for simple uh, cannabis possession at the federal level. And I also believe that covers those in D.C. But I mean, we're that's a small number of people. Um you know, and then, uh, you know, the second part was encouraging uh, other states uh, to go kind of down this pathway. And as you know, that could actually have a, make, be a big deal if other states follow. Mm -hmm. I mean, the vast, vast majority of cannabis possession arrests are not happening at the federal level. Um, but then the third part was uh, asking, you know, 
having you know health and human uh, services as well as Department of Justice uh, reexamine uh, cannabis's status uh, as being Schedule One. And you know, I guess the process is going to be expedited. I have no idea how long that's going to take. Um, but this is something that kind of relates back to that story uh, that you mentioned of the woman in Colorado. You know, I think you know, I'm I don't know the ins and outs of, of the uh, the case, uh, but from what I've read, I mean, it sounded like part of this was also that she had admitted to consuming cannabis more than 10 times or something when she was underage. And that because it was a schedule once or because it was a controlled substance that, uh, you know, that was part of the issue. And so this gets to this larger issue about rescheduling versus descheduling, right? If you were to reschedule cannabis, it would still would be schedule. It still would be a controlled substance. So this would still apply. Whereas if it was descheduled, you know, then it would no longer be a controlled substance, you know, be more like alcohol and tobacco. Yes. So presumably that wouldn't apply. Although it's interesting. So, you, you know, so if you kind of look at the different standards for what constitutes good moral character, or whatever the phrase is that they use, you know, there, there is good this moral character. Good mo- right. Yeah, there is, there is a clause in there <laughs> about uh, being a habitual drunkard. Yes. What? And yeah, and that, that can actually, uh, you know, make it harder for you to get citizenship. Well, and they there's passed no... this law in 1937 when like, yeah. the people, the temperance movement was really smart. Yeah. They're like, wait, we're going to let them drink again? Uh, well, we won't let any in anybody else in if they're a drunk. You hear that, Ireland? And the, <laughs> Ireland had already gotten in, you know, 20 yeah, years so, before. Yeah, yeah but so it's, it's, it's it, it'll be interesting to kind of see how this plays out. Um, you know, so there's this whole idea of you could reschedule, you could deschedule. You know, some people have even talked about potentially creating a new schedule, right? Because well, I don't know, if, I don't know if you've talked about this much on the other shows in terms mm-hmm. of the five schedules. But long story short, you know, what what schedule you end up in, um, lar- you know, largely depends on whether or not there's what's considered high potential for abuse. Abuse is the word that they use. And whether or not there's a federal, uh, federally recognized medical value. Now, you've got these five schedules, but it's best to kind of think about it as there's two bins, right? There's a bin. If, if there's no federally me- uh, recognized medical value, it automatically goes into schedule one. Everything else goes through two through five. So what we don't have is a schedule. It, you know, that's for high potential for abuse and no you know, uh, federally uh, recognized medical value. We don't have a schedule for something that's not, uh, you know, doesn't have a high potential for abuse mm-hmm. and no uh, uh, alcohol. medical value. Alcohol is not even scheduled. But I'm saying yeah. like, like, like to, yeah. to create that. Like, not real... even scheduled, but that yeah. is you're right. It's, so that's the hypocrisy. So you're going to take tobacco. Is that scheduled? No. Nope. no. Okay. Uh, and then alcohol. Is that scheduled? Also, no. McDonald's cheeseburger scheduled. They are not. Uh, but you're going to, you're going to take a freaking plant like literally a plant and go schedule one schedule one substance you know that's that's the thing with alcohol existing and tobacco existing the way they do already to create a new schedule doesn't even matter because the right schedule is not even properly implemented right like Mm -hmm. like there's no real substance to it if what we're saying is like addiction you know that's what we're talking about right we're talking about something that's going to get abused right so like you do something right away, and next thing you know, you're on a corner giving HJs just to survive or whatever. Like nothing like that exists, right? But we can say that these this heroin will could possibly ruin your life, right? It's, it's going to be something that it's going to create an altered like existence because, like Dr. Carl Hart, who is a known uh, mm-hmm. uh, heroin user, 
like uh, you know, and I want to say recreationally slash medically, because that's another thing that we're always trying to wrap our heads around, right? Like, you know, this thing can be both good and bad, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> depending on who you are. You know, mm-hmm. we can't blame the substance. We got to blame your, 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 like this whole morality thing with the the, the, the poor lady who got denied, right? Like, mm-hmm. lived we're, in America for five years. Well, we're catching nobody, right? We're catching someone telling the truth and being honest about their life. Like, where is the the morality badness? There's none because they're being honest. You know, that's when I joined the military, I, I went in with dreadlocks. So I kind of had to say I had smoked a couple times. Like, I couldn't be like, yeah, I, you know, smoke weed every day. But I, the, the recruiter was like, look, we're just going to say three times that you smoke, you know, before you join. Like, you tried it and that was it. So, like, you go in already. It's a, it's a dumb fucking system. Excuse me. I just It's very frustrating because I've mm-hmm. already been through it. And I'm trying to tell other people, like, you know, it sucks. You got to lie. If you're going to go out there and process applications or do something, you just can't say you, you were involved with this plant. You can't do anything because it could be used against you, you know, yeah. which it shouldn't be. That's yeah, the parody we're trying to look we for, right? Regulate it like tobacco. I mean, yeah. like tobacco comes in swinging this huge cancer uh, stick going like, I knock people out. I kill them. And then that cannabis... You look at it and you go, well, that's not what it does at all. Are we going to have anything that reflects this? Are we going to have any policy that makes sense? Nope. And that gets us to our next story. Uh, In further news, oh, my goodness, is it 20 past the hour already? It is. If it's 20 past the hour, that means that it is 420 somewhere. We'll be right back. So MJ Biz has reported this week on October 21st uh, that the losing applicants have challenged Florida's marijuana license to award it to a black farmer. This is out of the whole MJ Biz Daily staff, and it is a report that uh, one license, which went to one farmer uh, from a field of 12, and that was it. And that one farmer got the license, and the other people, they didn't do anything. So they filed a lawsuit. And that is Florida cannabis. That's also Illinois cannabis. That's limited license style cannabis. What do you think about the limited license style versus like the open license styles, Bo? What type of policy do you think would work best for that aspect of the industry? Well, I mean, once again, it kind of depends on where you're coming at from this. So one of the, you know, when we first got, you know, so, you know, people have been debating legalization at dinner parties and dorm rooms for decades, right? So I'm here in California, 2009, 2010, and the conversations start to get a bit more serious, right? There was a bill that had been introduced into the state legislature. There were conversations about there potentially being a ballot initiative in 2010, which ended up being Prop 19. You know, and being here in California, I kind of saw both sides of this debate kind of talking past one another, kind of using these big numbers that would make it hard to kind of really have some rational discussions about this. And so with a group of uh, colleagues, we ended up doing some work trying to help, you know, came out in 2010, trying to help people understand, hey, here's what we know and here's what we don't know. And, you know, here's where there's the uncertainty. But then we also started trying to think through, okay, if California went down this pathway, what would it actually mean for revenues, consumption and, and a bunch of other outcomes? And the kind of the big takeaway was if you legalize and especially if you allow big for profit companies to get involved over time, you're going to see those prices just plummet. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, and before then, no one had really been talking about price. And I remember at the time, people are like, oh, what do you brand nerds know about growing weed? You don't know what you're talking about. Like, we spent time talking to people who are growing cannabis and other yeah. products and you know, other going to other countries. And this is important because a lot of the outcomes that get discussed in legalization debates, right? What happens to consumption? What happens to the size of the illegal market? What happens to tax revenues? What happens to the profitability of businesses, which has huge implications with respect to social equity? All that's mm-hmm. going to be a function of price. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and we already see these big price drops happening in Oregon and Michigan and other places right now. And that's, you know, and that's with the federal prohibition. If it yeah. was no longer, if it was no longer illegal to move cannabis across state lines, you can see this market consolidate very quickly. I mean, we've estimated that you could probably produce all the cannabis that's consumed in the United States on a few dozen industrial-sized farms. That's mm. it. And, you know, oh, and I think, wow. yeah, yeah. And I think okay. if you talk about, uh, I mean, look, there'll always be kind of boutique markets and stuff, yeah. but it wouldn't right. take a lot. And then I think you talked about this last week as well. You know, if you had federal legalization and Amazon got involved or if people's, you know, if, if we no longer had it being sold in, right. uh, in in separate stores, right? You could actually yeah. sell it at a, at a grocery store or whatever. You know, that's just going to make it a heck of a lot harder for any of your small businesses and, a, and a lot of your applicants. So, right. so that's one of the things. So I know that Oregon's approach, for example, I mean, they made it really easy to get licenses. Yep. And they had mm. oversupply. I mean, we saw what the... Uh, the price for a gram of flour, medium price, like 2016, was about a little over 10 bucks. You know, the numbers I saw from a couple of months ago, it's now down to $4. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty big drop. And I mean, I think you saw in Michigan, they were showing that, you know, price for, uh, that was a, that was for a gram there in uh, in Oregon. In Michigan, they were looking at, uh, so that the price for an ounce dropped like from 250 bucks in January of 2021 to like 150 bucks in January 2022. So depending on, because price influences a lot of these outcomes, mm-hmm. you know, you know, if, if you're going to control the number of licenses and if you can control production, that can, that can prevent uh, a big, pr- that can prevent some of the price decline, not all of it. But, you know, if you go just, uh, and you just kind of allow a lot of different licenses out there, it's going to be a lot more competition to put the prices down. And look, and if you're if you're like some of these states that tax is a function of the uh, uh, of the price, so it add valorum yeah. tax. Like mm-hmm. if you if, as those prices go down, so will your tax revenue, unless yeah. you see kind of a big increase. And in fact, this is going to be if I think if trends continue, this might be the first year that uh, Colorado actually sees a decline in its cannabis tax revenues. Hmm. Wow. So, so this is important. So obviously, and if you have fewer resources, you know, depending on how you want to spend those tax revenues, right, on social equity programs or building wealth in low-income communities, you know, uh, price matters for a lot of this. And so, uh, oh, yeah. so I, I yeah. but, but don't you think, though, uh, you know, I, 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 I mean, like I've always talked about, like, we're going to have the MSOs, the Walmarts, the whatever, yeah. and, you know, weed. But no matter what the market is, price is always going to plateau because of certain, like, like, why is it my $10 gram still like from black market times, you know, traditional market to, to, to now, as far as like the $10 gram in the store that comes in packaging, because mm-hmm. now they're as the recreational market is aging and evolving, right? 
No small craft grower wants to give you 100% of their books. But if I'm a Walmart of weed, I got to be true with my books and show you like, yes, this is how much dirt I bought, how many seeds I bought, how much weight I've grown. Mm -hmm. um, this is what we found in the testing, right? Because the it's going to be more more regulated as far as the mm -hmm. uh, like the actual like this is the, the quality you're going to get or at least the expectation from an mso store person right because craft grow i'll still go to the craft guy uh you know in here in washington state we uh, recently had a bunch of robberies right no one's talking mm -hmm. about this i got i got a store down the street from me that had a smash they drove a car through the front window through the second barrier and they only stole like four thousand dollars worth of stuff right mm -hmm. but they said they, they did like 20 shops throughout this whole state uh, grows and whatnot, right? Like a simultaneously hit, there was a, a whole group of people most likely not living in the state, right? They're just targeting because there's a list of places and locations because the, of the way regulation is, there's a, there's a map, right? Mm -hmm. But how come liquor stores aren't being hit up the way fucking pot stores are or diamond stores? Cash. Mostly, Cash. yeah. Because like, have you ever tried to steal uh, mm. a thousand or a million dollars of gold? That's heavy. I'm sure like, you know, price per gram, <laughs> cannabis is probably just as much cash as cash, you know, uh, which makes it really nice. But then you've taken away the ability to do transactions. And so for allowing it and that we're discussing like the valuation of a license because they've um, tried to regulate it in a certain way to engender like greed and large corporations. <clears throat> And then, like, if, if we do it the other way, uh, it might bring down the prices and crash it. Uh, you know, it's still, well, what, what's the objective that we're trying to achieve, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and then, so how well are we hitting that goal? I mean, if we're just going to be doing these things willy-nilly, and each state seems to have its own little spin on what willy-nilly is when they come to legalizing this plant, um, it, it makes for very incoherent and, like, hard to, like, deal with. Uh, uh, aspects of running a business. Because if you try to run a business in one state, and then you could be able to replicate that in another state, as the yeah. laws are fairly uniform, because we are a union with the federal government that has a supremacy clause and whatnot, but then there's no voice on this particular industry. So trying to grow, it, it makes just really difficult of an industry to be in, you know? But also, I think the consumers of variety, right? We we, 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 you know, it's not a drum circle hippie, you know, it's, 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 mm -hmm. it's moms and dads and even like kids, it's medicine, it's recreational, you know, there's a whole trying to put everything into a one pot. And I think that's the hard question, right? Like as far as the point of regulation goes, the rules are, you know, you're, you're two, one person's asking, are we there creating the rules to protect the people in the industry, which I don't think should be, or are we there protecting the consumer, which I think should be right. It should always just be about the, the consumer, but for some reason, we got to, you know, like, we just can't have the Wild West. Like, I've seen the Wild West here in Washington State when it was medical. Mm -hmm. Like, I could open a store tomorrow if I wanted to. I just didn't. It's the same mm -hmm. reason why I don't open a fast food joint. And the same reason why I don't open a brewery. Because I go to my other job and I go, make, you know what I'm saying? Like, the average well, yeah. citizens. Yeah. Opening a, but the, still opening a craft grow is going to be like opening a brewery. Most people just can't cut the check for doing that oh, right. and so like you have to have a limited partnership or a group that comes together and, and those entrepreneurs and so those entrepreneurs are i'm pretty much cut out of the illinois market unless i form a hedge fund and raise money and then be the the general managers with limited partners and then we acquire licenses and operate them you know it's hmm. it that's it like that's how do you want to get a license that's what's on the table at least it's there 
in other states, it can be more, not even middle market. And so like revenues below 2 million bucks, not two to, to, to 50. Mm-hmm. Um, but Florida doesn't even have the middle market. Florida eclipses all of that. And you have to have more than $50 million to even access the market. So which are the largest job creators? The largest job creators, if you look at like the 30 million businesses that are in America, uh, two thirds or more than that are, are sole proprietors. And then I think it's only 7 million businesses that actually have employees. So if you're a business that owner and have employees, congratulations, you're you know up there. Uh, but you know, what are we trying to achieve? And so if we're trying to do something with uh, fixing the problems that have happened, shouldn't we create more jobs? And then if we're going to try to create more jobs, shouldn't we have it be fairly easy to get into? But sure, then the prices are going to crash. That's true. But, you know, the price of potatoes is the price of potatoes. The this plant always- is going to cost what it costs, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. The market's always yeah. going to prove, right? Or whatever. I'm sorry, both good. Oh, no, I was going to say, you get to this larger issue in, in terms of, and I, I run into this when talking about jurisdictions, you know, what do we set the taxes at? What should the tax base be? What should the regulation you know, but a lot of it comes down to, well, what is your goal? Like, if your goal is to reduce the size of the illegal market as quickly as possible, you would just kind of take the Oregon approach, right? And I mean, you would really, you, you try to reduce the prices as quickly as possible to move people over and try to put those that are growing illegally, either have them move over or put them out of business. Now, but there are other people, you know, who would rather, who want to see the, the size of the illegal market go down, but they're willing to have that take longer, if, as long as that would keep prices higher a bit, maybe have more regulation. And so this is where, I, this is where, especially when I, when, when you're talking to folks and they're having these debates, I think it's so useful for people just to be upfront about what are you trying to prioritize? Because once you understand that, I think you can have much more productive debates about this. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, that's, that gets very difficult because it's politics. And so in politics, oh, everybody good. is interested in themselves. And so there's this self-interest aspect of it. And how does it benefit me? And how is this going to help my constituents? How am I supposed to spend this so that I win and get more mm-hmm. votes? Mm-hmm. Uh, that aspect makes it really, really tricky. And then yeah. each state has a different you know, political vibe. So mm-hmm. the way that California does it is sure as shit, not the way that Kansas is going to do it, mm-hmm. even yeah. though they both start with a k- yeah. sound. Um <laughs> And, and then like, and it's just going to be very, uh, and I don't think that there's any real guidance at the federal level. There's no voice. I mean, this was the most that a president has ever spoken on this issue by saying that he's going to say these people are pardoned and that they, he finally directed, uh, pursuant to the Controlled Substances Act, that gives him the right to do, those two agencies, the HHS and um, I'm not sure what the other one is. It's uh, DOJ, but within yeah, the DOJ, DEA. Yeah, yeah. And so, right. Because they, yeah, that's right. They work in concert together because yeah. of the way the Controlled Substances Act is written. Mm. You know, first, Congress finds the facts, which, again, should scare everybody watching. But Congress <laughs> is in charge of your objective reality terrifies the shit out of me <laughs> but anyway uh so they found the facts and then uh they said well facts change and so they put doj and hhs in charge so then he is auditing it now i think yeah. he's going to slow walk it into uh the 2024 uh, election what about you what do you think Bo? oh i don't i don't i mean it, look it takes time to do this and yes. i don't you know, they're going to be looking at, you know, data from, you know, clinical trials. And I mean, the, the issue here, though, is so much of the research 
that's been done on the plant versus specific cannabinoid. I mean, so much of that work, so much of that research is based on stuff that was coming from the University of Mississippi. And it's not mm. necessarily representative of what's in the stores right now. Oh, yeah. Now, I know that it sounds like, I mean, people have been pushing for this for a while to, for the DEA to give out additional licenses to other places so they can grow it for research purposes. And I believe that those licenses have been given out or they're in the process of doing that, but that's going to take time. And and I think the thing you run into when you talk about, you know, rescheduling is that, you know, cannabis itself has so many different components. You know, that's what makes it very difficult. It makes it difficult to kind of do the research, Right. Because, you, you know, you have different THC, CBD levels, other, you know, terpenes. You've got other components of the plant. But and so can, I, it, I'm sorry, but couldn't, couldn't that be like a thought stumbling block? Right. Like like we don't break down tobacco or even alcohol by molecular, you know, like the plant to plant or even like uh, tomatoes. You know, I don't say it's this vitamin T or C, uh, you know, all the different components of the, the, the fruits and vegetables. You know, I don't. Yeah, well, no, you're, you're you're right there, but that's the difference between something being, uh, you know, approved for a medicine. Mm. Where that's well, that, that, yeah. I mean, well, like say orange juice, right? Like it prevents scurvy, right? We know we know this because people have to see, right? Well, but, I think it was the vitamin C and not like literally the orange juice. And well, that's uh, one of the yeah, I mean that, that gets to the, that gets to the point yeah. there. I mean that's why there's much there's a lot of research like looking at you know different you know specifically at THC or you've got products in a mix of THC and CBD. Hmm. Um, that's a lot easier to get through the regulatory process. Than a plant, you know, a bud that's got a lot of different other components there. So, so to be honest, I don't know how that's going to play out. And Tom, getting to your question, I don't know how long it's going to take. Oh, yeah, but I yeah. think I think it's important for people to understand. You know, rescheduling or descheduling can happen a couple different ways. One is having the president, you know, or have HHS and DEA kind of reevaluate this, and we'll see what they come up with. But then also, Congress can just pass a law. And in fact, that's what the Moore Act would have done. It would have descheduled yeah. cannabis. Um, so I think, I that think, have, be, I think yeah, people it, hated that concept for many reasons, but yeah. then like, you, if you think through like what happened at hemp and then that yeah. race to the bottom in price, yeah. that's what descheduling will do. It's yeah. free for all time, everybody. Um, and, and so I think that that scares a lot of people, including those that have cannabis licenses. Oh, definitely. Sure. Definitely. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 and I'm so glad you're saying that now. I mean, I remember, you know, 10 years ago, mentioning this, you know, possibility and people like, Oh no, that's not going to happen, you know? And uh, yeah. And that's the other thing I got to say as a researcher in this space, you know, you know, you do these studies sometimes where you're trying to look at, well, how does, you know, a change in cannabis use affects affect X, Y, or Z outcome. Right. Mm. And now you've got, you know, you've got so many different uh, possibilities, right? So if you ask somebody, have they used cannabis or how frequently do they use it? Well, if they're using Delta eight, are they going to say yes to cannabis? Are they, if they're just using CBD? And so it's in the research field, it's created a mess. And, you know, and that's the other thing in terms of a lot of these health studies that have been done, not, not the clinical trials, but the observational studies, Yeah, you know, they, they look can't at do the clinical trials and that's one of the problems. Well, well they, they, well, they can, they, well, they can, yeah. you know, you can do clinical trials, but it's tough with schedule one. Um, well, I just, yeah. Did you follow Oklahoma? So uh, I was at Oklahoma when they first approved their medical, like even before the, when, when the law was mm-hmm. about to come out, Hempfest went out there and I drove around and it was CBD shops everywhere. Like it was, they were like yeah. Starbucks. 
Yeah. And so I think, like you said, the the it, it's almost like they, uh, uh, you know, when you wear your down and uh, uh, you're like, I give in, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, they're like, all right, this is not a horrible thing. But yeah. you know, the, the the thing about cannabis too is it's, uh, you know, why is it, it just bothers me? Like how Marinol gets approved for medicine. Mm-hmm. Or even now, like we're doing this bullshit workaround where they're taking hemp derived THC and turning it, uh, you know, hemp derived THC, yep. right? It's like, yep. so my question to you guys, would you guys think when, say, if federal legalization happens, do you think that there will be lobbyists trying to redefine hemp, right? Like, like this is the same goddamn Roma tomatoes and in, 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 in spring, you know, 3% is your damn barrier. Come on. Mm-hmm. It's a plant. I think yeah. they need to figure out a way to regu- regulate it. Maybe they can take what Germany is going to do and yeah. apply it over here. I'm not sure. But we do have a little bit of international news. Let me uh, get that one ready to go and hit this small bumper. And we'll be back with some international news. Reuters is reporting that Germany is to legalize cannabis use for recreational purposes. That is on October 26th of 2022. A person is holding a joint at a rally in Berlin on April 20th. So I guess they got 420 in Berlin too. And and they are going to allow possession of 20 to 30 grams of recreational cannabis for personal consumption. That's going to become legal. Uh, Health Minister Karl Lauterbach presented a cornerstone paper on planned legislation to regulate the controlled distribution and consumption of cannabis for recreational purposes among adults. I wonder if we can get some ideas from what Germany is going to do. I think before we get into that, I I think what hasn't been getting as much attention about Germany is... It's not clear cut that this is going to happen. Um, oh. It turns out that so, anyways. So you know, I, I don't speak German, and so <laughs> or read it, and so I, what I found is the best resource on what's happening in Germany is the research that's, or the work that's being done by the Transnational Institute. So this is TNI.org. Mm-hmm. There, they've got a number of researchers. One, Martin Yelzma, Tom Blickman, um, were really good in the space. And this is a group that you know they're very much they want to see the regulation of cannabis and other drugs. You know, this isn't some prohibition organization. Um, but Martin put out a post or uh, put out an article maybe two days ago, uh, saying that he thinks what's happening in Germany is on very thin ice. Oh. And, and the reason is is that Germany now is they're going. To, they're essentially running their plan by the European Commission and kind of asking for a green light from them before they go forward. Oh. What Martin argues in the piece is that how they're trying to justify this to the European Commission probably isn't going to fly. Um, so, anyways, I would pay close. To, so, anyway, anyone who's interested in this, I would I would check I would check out what they're doing at TNI.org because it's provide it's been very useful in terms of updates about what's happening. Um, but. Uh, Right but no, but you're, but this is, I mean, outside of the United States, these conversations really are heating up. Um, oh, yeah. you, you're seeing it in Switzerland as well. Yeah, and, the and Chancellor, but they, yeah. they did they did mention that, you know, Bo, about how they, in the article itself, it says, uh, the Chancellor did not get a timeline for the Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. hey, we're going to legalize this. It kind of reminds me of the Virginia legalization or the oh, yeah. Mexico legalization, yeah. which is it legal, is it illegal? I don't know. 
Yeah. Right? That's not that's not the commercial regulation of it. I mean, is it permissible yeah. is really kind of the threshold mm. bar on that one. Yeah. The commercial regulation of it, you know, I don't know, more like other agricultural commodities. How about that? I mean, it's not like we're reinventing the wheel here, you know? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I should be allowed to grow a plant or at least buy it from the store, the seeds and, and whatnot. I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, it's not going to, there's a whole zombie apocalypse bullshit right. that's predicted. But yeah. then, but then what the truth of the matter is, is that it, it is literally just a plant that flowers and then you consume it. That's it. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, it's so simple. And then like, the closer you get to the plant and you like have a relationship with it and like you've grown them, you've seen them, you've seen them through and then you get into the industry and that that, that, that stuff existed before this whole industry, which just seems like greedy and like that there's just springing traps that are out there for no good reason, except we have the license and you don't. And um, you just see that it's just a plant. And then, it, you know, it's, I'm not sure what the sex word is for it, like diotenaceous or something where it's got boys and girls and then <laughs> the girls flower up and they get all shiny and crystally and they smell neat. And then uh, you can smoke them later and have a good time. Right. Yeah. But what's, well, I, okay. I was going to say maybe one last thing. As I said, there's a lot of, a lot of discussions are really heating up there in Europe. And so I think it'll be interesting to pay attention to what happens in Malta. So Malta just passed legalization. They're still in the process of implementing, but my understanding is that it's only, they're only going to allow home grows and then cannabis social clubs. Oh wow! So you know these, um, you know, so these clubs. I mean, they've been operating in Spain. I mean, they've been operating in different parts of Europe illegally, um, but they're actually part of uh, Uruguay's legalization. So you know, Uruguay legalized in 2013. Oh, yeah. There is fascinating there. Um, if you're over 18 and you want to get access to legal cannabis, you actually have to register with the government. Oh, shit. Cool. Yeah, listen to this. But you have, and not only do you have to register, you have to choose your supply mechanism. So oh, you can God. choose to either grow your own, oh, wow. join a cannabis social club, or buy it from a pharmacy. Neat. There. Yeah. It's I a- love how they have made it not fun. And see, by <laughs> making it not fun. Uh, yeah, because like in America, it's like, are you going to go to BizCon? I'll see you at MJ Biz. Oh my God, I need $25 million. Can you just give me $5 million? I'll have this guy turn it into $25. We'll be playing with your money. Um, and, and, so, and then you see what they've done in Uruguay and it's like, okay, I don't even yeah. understand this, this yeah. industry and this uh, country that we have here. It's like, how do we turn anything into a pile of cash? Yeah. You know, literally, yeah. that's the point of America. Yeah. No, I I remember being down there before they legalized, kind of having conversations with policymakers, you know, kind of helping them understand, hey, here's what we're beginning to see in other places. And I remember mentioning something about tax revenues. Mm. And we're in this room, all these officials, they all laughed at me. They're like, (laughs) because for them, they're not doing this about tax revenues at all. Their motivation is they really wanted to try to break a link. I I believe a lot of the cannabis was coming in uh, from Paraguay and their organized crime groups. Mm. So they were trying to break that link. And also they saw more of a human rights issue. Damn. Mm. So it's interesting. So they're like, we're going to do this. We're not trying to generate revenue off of this. And uh, yeah, different approaches in different places. Wow. But the human rights issue makes so much sense. And then not only that, the breaking of the crime aspect of it, mm-hmm. uh, if it's free, they aren't going to be trafficking in it, you know? Yeah. Uh, nobody traffics in free samples. And so um, it's one of those things that from the policy sp- standpoint, they go, 
what are we trying to achieve? And then they get it. And so I, maybe it's the, the difference between Uruguay and, or Uruguay, however you want to pronounce it, yeah. if you're trying to be more correct or not. Um, <laughs> it, 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 that's really an interesting aspect, that type of yeah. juxtaposition where you see it in Illinois where it's hyper um, corporate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you see like in Oklahoma where it's more freewheeling American open market style, like small people can become large people over time through a consolidation. Why start with a well, Budweiser if we know one's going to happen? Not no more. Know? Can't do it in Oklahoma anymore. They, they, they stopped that. No more new players. Well, they, but before they had the moratorium, they got a pile of licenses. Oh, and sure. So, like you're talking 11,000 licenses in a 4 million oh, population, wow. you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize it was a loving. Wow. Yeah. No, oh, no they got a pile of licenses. Yeah. They got yeah. as much licenses in Oklahoma as they got in uh, California. California's got 10 times the population. But guarantee yeah, those licenses are going to go up in value now because they're locked in, right? Well, they're, they're at zero. Uh, it's kind of easy to go up from zero. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing in Oklahoma, really. But, yep. uh, you know, God, it's, it's a good conversation, though. What do you. But what was the thing with Germany though? Like, what do you think their argument is, or, or why? Why are they saying it's not going to be a good argument to, to talk to the EU? Yeah. Like, hey, he likes uh, equality and money, and no, it's look. I am not an international lawyer, and I definitely don't know you know the ins and outs of German law. But essentially, yeah. I think the argument that they're making to the EC is that, hey, look, there have been these German laws or there's ways you can interpret these various German laws that help us kind of be more consistent with the international treaties. Now, I'm glossing over a lot of here, but the bottom line is, and what what Martin Yelsma was arguing in this piece, is that the laws and interpretations they're referring to are just with respect to uh, possession and kind of small scale. So it's not with respect to, you know, you know, uh, licensing suppliers and sales. Yeah. So, anyways, I mean, we'll see how this plays out. And, uh, but, yeah. uh, anyways, when, when I saw that he said, "Hey, this is on thin ice," um, I, sure. I paid attention. But, uh, but you know, there could be other approaches to doing this. And, yeah, yeah, uh, like you're saying, the Uruguay way. That'd be yeah. Or, or the reason I, I'm sorry, the reason I got down to talk about Uruguay, these idea of the cannabis social clubs. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. where it's nonprofit. You know, people join the club. And you don't necessarily have advertising, um, oh, yeah. although you did see that in some parts of Spain. Um, but I do think that's a model, at least in Europe, you're going to hear more about. OK. Um, I don't know if you'll hear more about that here in the U.S. because, it, you know, the people that want to make money off this uh, would probably push against that. Well, um, yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah. They, they do exist, though. I mean, those clubs exist in like prohibition states or not even prohibition yeah. states, but like up and coming states. Like we used to have it here when it was medical. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then they just like disappeared. Now it's still like you have to know someone to, to, to you know, a secret handshake to get to these places. Whereas they used to be flyers and everything. But Oklahoma, I know for a fact, they're, they're having full on lounges and places. Smoke Oklahoma, I think, follows us like there's doing things. What everybody's writing that little like gray area, right? Like, hey, mm-hmm. we're a private club or, or whatever, yeah. you know. But yeah. that's also kind of like a community, the 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 self sustainingness of it. It's like, also yeah. an aspect yeah. of the American psyche that's particular in that jurisdiction and that location, mm-hmm. like you know that personal freedom. Okay, oh, yeah. so the the west of the Mississippi River has like. A much different, you know, less judgmental, in my opinion, stance when it comes to conservatism. It's usually more, well, they still have quite a bit of that, I'm sure. But um, it's usually more about the the small uh, government 
where open markets, you know, you're not going to be picking winner, winners and losers. But then the Illinois is the exact opposite. Like we really don't allow that. It's somebody wins, somebody loses. There's four of them. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting. And so yeah, that that aspect of uh, what's in America is is neat. The personal freedom conservatives of the West Coast. And, 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 me, and meanwhile, we got some pot stock news. Oh, we got some pot stock news, but that one, you know, we've we've gone fifty minutes. I wanted to, okay. oh, wanted to, to name that strain because All we right. haven't gotten to that one, and then we could we could wrap up with uh, how many Snoop Dogg joints. I mean, how many joints does Snoop Dogg smoke? If Snoop Dogg could smoke joints, but we'll do that <laughs> after name that strain. Yeah. <laughs> For our Halloween episode, we are going to turn Miggy into this strain. It is very purple and almost looks like a blueberry muffin, but it's it's not a blueberry muffin. Uh, of course, it is an indica dominant hybrid, though, and um, <laughs> that aspect of it. Yep. And then and now um, Bo has turned hey. into a giant nugget of cannabis. Uh, <laughs> and so this one is uh, let's see, it's it's got a fairly high CBD percentage. I'm yes. wondering if we have. I usually like to give the parents uh, away so that somebody can be a weed nerd about it uh, it's a halloween episode cross this is our halloween episode. purple urkel big bud and perhaps one other unknown sativa purple urkel and big bud and an unknown sativa interesting uh and and so it is it's a halloween based strain and let's yes. see if anybody in the chat has uh guessed think halloween names I mean, it's grant, granted, it is very purple, but it is not blueberry muffin, not a Halloween name. This is also a breakfast cereal, mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, one of those breakfast cereals that you see very often around Halloween. And, you know, our extract picture makes it look darker. It's very more of a light purple. I'm looking on the other screen that I got here. Uh, it's not Godbud. Not Godbud or Master Curse Purple, too. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to give them a few more seconds. And then while we're doing that, while we're letting the answers roll in as to name that strain, uh, I say we go ahead. Oh, look, Miggy is, uh, yeah. which one violates the terms of service more? The on-air consumption in a legal state or showing the actual tobacco, I swear. Of course it does. That makes it lawful. I mean, <laughs> there's no algorithm out there to stop. To, well, there probably is. Probably is. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a good one. How many joints does Snoop Dogg smoke? Uh, this one is coming at us from MSN.com. So, you know, it's probably somewhat true. Uh, and so in an interview uh, on Australian radio, radio hey, West Coast rapper's personal blunt roller, Renegade Piranha, revealed he likes to smoke a whopping 75 to 150 joints a day. And so he estimates Snoop Dogg's consumption at 450,000. And all he does is roll about a half a pound a day, which is 75 to 150 joints. That's right. What about that? Would somebody buy um, one of the joints smoked by Snoop Jogs' official joint roller? Is that kind of like the service industry that this is going to be getting into? That's right. Frankenberry. Somebody got the name that strain. Uh, Miggy, who, who got the name that strain? Phil G the Nobody. Phil G the Nobody knows Frankenberry. But um, what do you, you guys know, think? Professional joint rolling. Is that going to be something? Is that something that, you know, like, would you want to get joints rolled like Snoop smokes? Could he, could he sell that? You think like handcrafted joints, like maybe cigars? Well, if the actual substance becomes worthless, then isn't it the experience that you have to sell then? 
Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like people do auxiliary make money at weirdest shit, man. Like, like, you know, I think Wiz Khalifa got, got a roller too. But like, who would have thought like you make whatever, how much you how much I wonder how much that's what I want to know. Not how much how much you're paying for that, you know, just all day. What are you gonna do? Roll all day. I'm trying to trying to bring it up. Evidently, this is Ranaga Piranha, and I have to be butchering that name because I have never seen it before. And it R-A-N-A-G-A-D-E. That is Snoop's official blunt lower brawler, evidently. Uh, interesting. I did not know that he had one and that uh, she rolls professionally. That's a job in the future. In 2022, you can be a professional blunt roller. Yeah. I mean, at 100 k I'd be like, oh, can you imagine like kids right now are like, oh, I can do this. And like, they start practicing. Like, I still can't. I'm almost 50 and can't roll. <laughs> well, that's too bad. Uh, who did get the uh, the name that strain again? Let's uh, do give a couple of shout outs to the Frankenberry strain and tell some people about that. Phil G. Nobody. He nailed the Frankenberry Halloween strain and it is 17% THC, 4% CBD. Pretty interesting indica hybrid blend of that CBD. So if you want an entourage effect, think of the Frankenberry. It's a higher and average CBD content and it can therefore, according to this publication, which I believe is Leafly, uh, elongate the high that you feel because of that synergy. I, 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 I enjoy a good CBD joint. It does. It they, it, it really has um, wonderful uh, effects. Yeah. I mean, it's not about the THC, right? It's another misnomer that people just have out there. It's like, this is a plant. This is like... Like, unfortunately, it can your be, body uh, has cannabinoid receptors. And yeah, those cannabinoid receptors perform specific things, and so by them saying that there's no medical use, it's just false. I mean, it's just wrong. If that was true, I would understand we wouldn't have any of these cannabinoid receptors, but we clearly do. Why? What do they do? How come we didn't find out about them until the early '90s after this stuff had been illegal for decades? And then, mm-hmm. did you do any research? No. You had Israel do the research. You had Israel do it. Okay, great. Well, what did they say? A whole bunch of stuff. Did you listen to any of it? None of it. Okay, God. You know, and it's uh, becoming mm-hmm. a citizen in America uh, is frustrating when you look at what's going on in America or how things kind of work. But then that that was nice, the Uruguay. I might have to look out to the, that yeah. place. It sounds cool. like they understand how to... Do they also have universal health care? I... I would get. I don't. My guess would be yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty progressive place. I'm trying to figure. Venezuela out. has healthcare. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we're the only country. I I keep trying to find another one that doesn't provide healthcare to their citizens. Maybe Switzerland. You know. Really, I thought Switzerland was universal healthcare. I bet they have it as well. They're just yeah. kind of like independent, and so like they may have a stipend to buy the insurance, but then they let the insurance do it. Oh, okay. I mean, like, the people are, like, safe, I think, right? Like, even the prison systems are pretty, like... They do things differently. They treat you like people, right? That's the thing about America. (laughs) We're very, like, like, capitalism, everybody's an entity, this is a thing, right? Like You mean, you you see, like, uh, an article like this one that came out on October 24th on Vice? You'd see this in America? California lawsuit alleges we didn't get plaintiffs high enough. Your Honor, my clients have been wronged. They thought they was going to get high, and they did not. Can you imagine? They said it was fire, but it's not fire. It's mids. Like, what's... (laughs) (laughs) But, Mickey, this gets to what you had mentioned earlier about just the variation in testing. 
right? Yeah. This is something that uh, we, we need to figure out. And, and yeah. part, I mean, part of this is because of the federal prohibition and that we don't necessarily have these national standards and we have this yep. patchwork of laws. But uh, I mean, this is a big issue in terms of helping make, making sure people know what they're consuming. But then also, you know, when we start talking about alternative approaches to taxing cannabis, um, you know, as you know, New York and uh, Connecticut are going to start with the THC takes uh, THC taxes. I mean, Illinois has that threshold, but Il- you know, Cal- Connecticut, and New York are going to take it to a new level. And you know, whether or not those types of um, tax systems work, I mean, there are advantages with, with doing it. You know, a lot of it depends on well, how well do you believe the results. Mm. And but, so, you know, will there be testing the tester? And uh, I mean, that's a big issue. I mean, not only in those states, but in, in states that legalized long ago. Oh yeah, the yeah, lack of standardization. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to they're trying to hype their numbers, and so like oh, they, yeah. they, because there isn't these regulations that say how you're supposed to test, they use whatever lab will say that they have the highest THC. And so that's what it literally was. It was them saying it was 42. It was in the thirties and bang, they got nailed with this year complaint, 26 pages, uh, seven counts from unfair competition law violations to Hmm. unjust enrichment, uh, false advertising law, consumer legal remedies act. Watch out. If you're selling to consumers, they are like really the only protected class in America consumers. Uh, breach of express warranty, negligent misrepresentation, intentional misrepresentation, um, a lawsuit based on hyping your numbers of THC so that your product moves. Amazing. Tom, did you say 42 for flour? Uh, they Yes. And so they said it was pre-rolls. And then not only that, like I, people have like uh, – I've seen these 42%, but this one says the Baby Jeter Fire OG Diamond Infused 5-Pack Pre-Roll claims to have 46%. Oh, content. infused. So this right. isn't just straight up flour. They're putting this in shatters. This isn't just straight up flour. Right. Yeah, okay. Right. Okay. And then instead, it was 23 to 27%. But think mm. about the balls on like, or the- That's a weak-ass concentrate. <laughs> yeah, or this is baritry. And so like you see what, what you have is you have somebody who's looking for a lawsuit going like, hey, it ain't right. Go send it to the lab. I'll get the complaint ready. You know, and then uh, and then somebody can be like, oh, you lied. Well, you're going to have to settle with us now. And so you've picked your your defendant. You know, they have a cannabis license and have made some money. Hmm. Eh, why not? So that's the uh, that's the shyster in me. Well, you know, that's going to be an interesting argument, too, because really what is right like they're going to be arguing about like what is uh high standards high you know what, the high you know like what the experience is what you're, you're asking about right like people say yeah give me more thc but don't really understand like what that experience is like and also with the last asking like bo how you laughed at that 40 percent mark when it came to just a flower right most people understand like flower is not going to test at 40 percent maybe <laughs> 25 but they're not understanding the percentage of what they're looking at like how that testing what that number means you know what i mean mm-hmm. all right hey before we wrap it up why don't we talk to the audience a little bit we have bo here and so you guys could also ask bo your questions i think we also have a bumper for talk to the audience All right. So uh, Dr. Bo Kilmer, he's co-director of the nonprofit, ran Drug Research uh, Policy Center. I got those two mixed up. Uh, He's been published in uh, JAMA and also CNN, LA Times, NBC. Any questions for Bo or for Miggy or Tom about cannabis policies? 
uh, or the industry or the legality of it. I but still practice a lot of law. What's your doctorate in? Uh, public policy. Oh, neat. Yeah, a lot of a lot of training in econ, but you know, <clears throat> I, you know, dissertation was all on drug policy, and uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's like it's, you know, as I mentioned maybe to you before we started, you know, I've been at Ram for yeah about twenty five years, and uh, yeah, I just it's I've I've really enjoyed working there, and I just feel like they're asking the right questions, and so it's just been fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, now it used to be the case that we, we when we wanted to learn about you know innovation and differences in drug policy, you know, we have to look outside of the United States for the most part. But, you know, now, I mean, with everything that's happening on the cannabis side, changes with respect to psychedelics, um, there's a lot of changes happening within the U.S. So from a researcher, you know, from a research perspective, you know, it it opens up a lot of opportunities to learn about the pros and the cons of these different policy choices. Sure. And you guys don't have an agenda, which is nice. Like, it's just uh, the data. Forty to fifty thousand that, that I said that I, I guess I, I don't know that would be worth it in LA to be a blunt roller unless you're rolling for like multiple celebrities at forty to fifty because yeah that's expensive in LA yeah that's still homeless <laughs> that's that's still somebody's closet yeah 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 that's crazy that's like that out there so then were you back in two thousand and ten were you in the Rand uh, Foundation then too right yeah yeah so I st- yeah, I started full time so I was kind of an intern consultant for I don't know. 10 years or so. So I started full-time 2007. So, yeah. So, you know, a lot yeah, of, I mean, got, well, didn't you publish something around 2010 about like cultivation and stuff? Because when I started getting yeah. into like writing uh, reports or applications for, yeah. for, you know, cannabis applications, like I'm doing research and I came across like a Rand publication from like 2009 or 2010. Yep. Yeah, that was me. That was me, and my yeah. team. Yeah, and so that was that was the one where people are like, you know, when we started talking about these price declines, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I remember, gosh, right around that time, this was when uh, you know in the Netherlands. I mean, they've got their whole ca- coffee shop approach, but they also have a straight up medical program, and mm-hmm. you know, where there was one place that was growing all the cannabis for their medical program, they made it have like a thousand patients or something. And uh, I think they maybe had only had four strains. And I remember going to check out this facility. It was like three hours outside of Amsterdam. And it was a small little place, small grow room and, you know, veg, whatever. And I remember, and so, but they were, I mean, they were producing stuff that was pretty high THC and pretty oh, yeah. consistent. It was some of the, I mean, you could argue probably at that time, some of the best quality bud being grown Um in the world, yeah, it was Amsterdam in before 2000. Like you had to go to Amsterdam before 2010 because that's really yeah. when the industry in America kind of started. Like yeah. you know, you can go back to before that in California in the mid 90s and all that, but there just wasn't really any data. Well, yeah, but this medical, but but what's interesting about this medical? So I'm so I'm in this small facility that where they're growing most of the medical cannabis, and I remember they opened up their books to me. And at wow. that point, so this is 10 years ago, a small grow. And they're like, it's costing us about a euro, a gram to grow. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, and so I remember seeing that thinking, oh, can you imagine huge facilities? Mm. And, and so anyways, and, and once I saw that, I realized even more that the price declines that we're going to be seeing here in the United States. And uh, but yeah, so we did some work on that, you know, back then. And then in 2012, 2013, so Mickey, when you were, I guess you were probably still up there. When after Washington legalized, they needed to figure out, well, how big was their market so that oh. they can make decisions? So I did the so I led a team that kind of did the work for them. And I got to say, at that point, you know, 
when you're trying to estimate the size of a market and, you know, it's one thing you can get data from, you know, the number of people who use and the number of people, how many days they use from national surveys. Yes, people lie, you make adjustments. But the yeah. issue there is we didn't have good information on given that you were consuming how much, how like, you know, how many grams per day. So I mm-hmm. remember we ended up having to putting out this survey where we had like a picture of an uncrushed bud next to a quarter and a, and a credit card saying, hey, on a given day, do you smoke about this amount, half this amount, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, so we had to do that in order to kind of get a rough estimate. And that's one thing that's been nice. I've kind of seen, you know, people have taken that a lot more seriously in terms of trying to measure consumption. Okay. Which is, you know, which I think is going to be really helpful when people, when you start thinking about kind of the health consequences, you know, mm. you want to know what, what people, what are they using and, and how much are they using, you know, you mm. know, versus whether or not they, you know, consumed in the past month or, you know, even some of these surveys, you know, they'll give you information on the number of use days, yeah. but you can have someone who smokes every day, but they take a couple hits off a of vape pen each day to go to bed. You got other people that wake up in the morning and they're consuming most of the day. You can imagine those, those, you know, that can have, they can have very different health profiles, oh, right? Sure. Yeah. So anyways, so it's, it's taken longer than I thought it would take, but, uh, um, I, I think once we get better information on what's being consumed, we'll be able to answer a lot of these questions a bit more definitively. In, cool. in Washington state though, when you did the, the survey, did you guys take into consideration that there was like a thousand stores at the time? Like the, the, the amount of existing, uh, market that was there. Did you guys? Oh yeah. So, so well? we didn't, I didn't come out and say Washington. Washington should do this many stores. I just was helping them say, Hey, look, this is how much cannabis we think is being consumed in the state right now, legal oh. and illegal. That's it. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, no, there was a lot, lot there, there was a lot already going on there. And, uh, but, uh, Somebody's yeah. asking about yeah. Texas. We do get some, yeah, some questions did come in though. And yeah. so, as uh, we answered that one question, then uh, Ken of Awesome, a member, so thank you. Shout outs to the members. Uh, he asked, Is there any health care in Russia? And the answer to that is yes, there is. And so, according to the 1996 uh, sure. Constitution, Russia has uh, their citizens have the right to free health care. So, uh, take that, America, beating them. They are, you know, <laughs> even, even America won't provide you health care. <laughs> Take we're that, number, Russia. Yeah. We're number one for lack of. We love freedom. We love freedom. All right. Some, and then uh, uh, the, hurdles. the hurdles of Texas. What are the hurdles of getting legal in Texas? We had a Texas lawyer on, and he said that the Texas legislature only meets once every other year. Hey, I tell you the hurdle is. Yeah. Vote Beto. <laughs> I mean, you got oh, a chance right Beto. now. Beto. Oh, okay. Man. Yeah, there you go. Uh, if you're going to. This election, vote. <laughs> in this election, you can vote because uh, that is a, a dichotomy because. Uh, Abbott, when he made news pushing back against Biden for his, uh, uh, you know, October surprise of the cannabis pardons a couple of weeks ago, he said that he wasn't going to allow any of those pardons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then Beto says that he's going to legalize. But I haven't checked the polling on that. And I just I'm hard pressed to think that Beto can win. Man, everybody's so negative. America's purple. We got America's this. Come purple. on. Just get out. Just get out. <laughs> well, you get know, out the vote. Because, I mean, like the, the last election, you know, I, as someone who's never really cared and wanted to see everything burned down, and it almost did, you know, I just wanted to, like, wow, a lot of people actually got out, right? 81 million on, on the like logical side of life and 70 million who hopefully by now are half the size of what they were because of all the dumb shit still going on. So I'm really hope the human man, humanity comes out of everybody You're like, eh, I don't mm-hmm. know about that. If you're trying to like get over an 8.2% hill 
and it's October 30th and the election is in eight days. Man, man. good luck on that. But how that is, is Herschel Walker even a contender? How is Dr. Oz? Like, this is just the, like the weirdest people, like the clown show of politics. Like, how are they even contenders? Oh, my goodness. Where is the Herschel Walker? Oh, my gosh. That is really close. Yeah. That's like shockingly close. Scary. Like that guy. Yeah. Could, but War, okay, Warnock is at least ahead by 1.2 points. Wow. You can sneeze that. That is nowhere near the, the, the sample sizes uh, error margin. So that's just, that's so danged close. And then uh, it looks like the Pennsylvania race has gotten knotted up as well, uh, mm. with Fetterman now only leading by 1%. But then a lot of states, you know, they're 50-50 states. Flip a coin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But fingers crossed for independence, though. That's what I'm just trying to, like, man, this is it. You don't get one ch no more chances after uh, uh, November 8th. You know, that freaking do the pre stuff. I already filled mine out. I just got to drop them off uh, tomorrow. All right. Did we get any uh, any other news come up? So they have the uh, – why do they have the same date on every calendar? Uh, that one, I it's an inside joke, I'm sure. Um yeah. I'm just deleting some of the uh, the spam comments right now. Wait, is that is that one of the spam comments or is that a legitimate no, question? I, I think that was a conversation. You know, people people comments. are actually in the uh, they go to the chat and they have conversations with each other while we do the show. It's really yeah. interesting. Some hmm. of them I think are bots, but other ones I literally think are real people. <laughs> uh, polls mean nothing. How many people have already voted? Uh, a shockingly small amount. You know, early voting is a small minority of the actual votes that are cast. Most people, in anything, they wait until the day that it's due, yeah. and then they might forget to turn it in, and that explains why a lot of people don't vote. But then uh, they will if they want to. Uh, and then uh, some people, though, they will vote early because they have something else to do. Or they just don't like waiting in lines. That's what I'm saying, man. Get it done. Save the world at once. It's just gonna burn down. I honestly think these these wackos out there, man. Like all I'm asking for legal weed on my life, but yet I've always been the underdog or the bad person because of you know morality. Like, come on, man. This guy asks, "How do you open a cannabis collective grow?" It depends on your jurisdiction. Yeah, and then not only does it depend on your jurisdiction, uh, with a lot of luck. Trying to get people to do anything in a collective fashion uh, is a tricky proposition. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, so anything else? To, Bo, to, you know, thanks for, for coming by the show and hanging yes. out. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. And, you know, we, we went a little long. You know, we usually try to wrap them up in about an hour, but uh, had some good conversations and yeah. some good times. Uh, how do people get in touch with you and, and find out more about your guys' organization and what you're up to? Sure. Um, probably the easiest thing is just to go to uh, RAND.org nice. right there. And then you kind of search for, you know, within our Drug Policy Research Center. And you can see the weird work that we're doing in the cannabis space. But then also the work we're doing a lot with respect to illegally manufactured fentanyl. We kind of do work on all aspects of, you know, all different substances. And as you'll see on the page, there's a lot of work outside of drug or outside of drug policy as well. So check it out. And also you can just email me Kilmer, K I L M E R at rand.org. And uh, if I can't answer your question, I can try to point you in the right direction to the person who can. Awesome. Nice. Well, you know, we really appreciate it and uh, good having uh, the Rand organization out there doing research for policy and goals, because sometimes it just seems like people are trying to pass laws for no real good reason at all. Yeah. Yep. 
Awesome. Week. Well, hey, uh, thanks for tuning in and hanging out with us. And yeah. big shout out to all the members. You guys can become a member if you join the channel, and then you'll make the credits. Thanks. Yeah.